Chapter Two of An Intimate View of Robert G. Ingersoll by Isaac Newton Baker. Recorded by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two As a Lawyer. As a young lawyer in Illinois, Mr. Ingersoll quickly rose to eminence. In a few short years, he attained to the highest office in his profession, the Attorney Generalship of the State, a state that has given to the nation many of her legal and intellectual giants. He won wide fame in his trial of the celebrated Munn case and of other legal contests in Illinois. Coming to the nation's capital, his ability as a lawyer was at once recognized and he entered upon a large and lucrative practice this practice was for the most part and by preference in the executive departments although he was frequently in the united states supreme and district courts the star route cases in the much misunderstood star route cases mr ingersoll was leading counsel for the defense and by unanimous consent was chosen chairman of the defendant's attorneys in all their conferences his masterly conduct of those cases through a prolonged and intricate trial covering two and more years is a matter of history and record his associates were filled with admiration and amazement at the legal ability he displayed his knowledge of the law his almost infallible judgment his prodigious memory of the facts extending to the minutest details and rendering him for the most part independent of the record his impregnable logic his lucid statements of the law and his testimony and his forensic power all marked him as easily chief among the eminent counsel in that contest jurists estimates the late judge jeremiah wilson one of the brightest lights of the washington bar said to the writer quote, what most impressed me in colonel ingersoll's course throughout the trial and compelled my profound admiration was not his legal learning wide and accurate as i knew that to be but his inimitable tact his unerring judgment of the course to be pursued day by day the witnesses to be examined the weight to be given to their testimony the points to be included and emphasized as vital and the parts to be excluded as irrelevant incompetent and immaterial in short his marvelous management of the entire case he absolutely made no mistakes as the outcome proved we seldom overruled him and when we did found later that he was right and we were wrong End quote. the honorable walter davidge dean of the washington bar who had been selected by his associates to follow mr ingersoll's closing address to the jury said quote, may it please your honor it was understood among counsel that both colonel ingersoll and myself should have the privilege of addressing the jury if in the judgment of either it should be thought necessary i have felt such a deep interest in this case that i have almost hoped he might leave unoccupied some portion of the field of argument i have listened to every word that has fallen from his lips he has filled the whole area of the case with such matchless ability and eloquence that i have no ground upon which i could stand in making any further argument i can add nothing whatever to what he has said i need not add that every syllable he has uttered receives my grateful endorsement End quote. the capital a leading journal in washington commenting on colonel ingersoll's closing address to the jury in the first star route trial said quote, 
the most characteristic feature of the trial was the marvelously powerful speech of colonel robert g ingersoll before the jury and the judge people who knew this gifted gentleman only superficially had supposed that he was merely superficial as a lawyer while acknowledging his remarkable ability as an orator and his vast accomplishments as a speaker they doubted the depth of his power they heard him and the doubt ceased it can be said of ingersoll as was written of castellar that his eloquent utterances are as the finely fashioned ornamental designs on a damascus blade the blade cuts as keenly and the embellishments beautify without retarding its power End quote. an episode on one occasion the venerable judge wiley refused a motion made by mr ingersoll on the ground that he had already decided and denied it but your honor twice ruled the other way impossible said the court i think the record will show and the colonel handed the book to the judge with page and lines indicated the court reddening replied well the fact that i ruled in defendant's favor ought to be satisfactory to them and that i twice so ruled should not weaken the ruling nor lessen their satisfaction End quote. The triumphs he scored over opposing counsel in their many legal tilts, the heated and sometimes bitter attacks and retorts, never invited by Mr. Ingersoll, but out of which he emerged victorious, his uniform fairness and candor, the accuracy of his statements when challenged, showing his thorough command of every detail, and finally his matchless summing up, made their irresistible impression on court and jury alike, and in the teeth of popular opinion and clamor fomented and fed by false press reports and against all the power prestige and pursuits of the two national administrations won the case his respect for the law though by choice a lawyer and in practice an eminently successful one he did not seem in later life at least to have retained his early ardor for the profession for the law itself he never lost respect and reverence to him it was the bulwark of justice the safeguard of liberty and he gloried in its history and achievements but for the perversions of the law he felt only contempt and indignation he hated all dishonest and degenerate methods in its practice the law he held should be invoked only in the interest of truth and justice but was too often made the tool of injustice oppression and wrong he scorned to resort to the sophistries and subterfuges employed by many in the profession he did not care to win a case merely for the fee involved or for the glory of winning it he wanted the right to triumph and could rejoice only when victory perched on the heights of truth again he chafed under the fetters and limitations of the modern practice he believed that justice was often entangled in the net of technicalities he could not endure the mechanical reliances on books the cast-iron moulds the cut-and-dried forms canned and labelled processes papers and preparations ready-made for every case and all occasions most of these so-called helps he considered hindrances that crippled the law and made it limp and halt where it ought to leap and run the law's delay he said is more often the lawyer's delay and should not be tolerated modern methods he believed consumed time stifled originality repressed individual initiative and tended to make of the law a mere puppet 
an echo of old opinions rulings and decisions a slave to precedent he hated the shackles of precedent he hated all shackles he wanted to be free to decide for himself in the law no less than in religion and in all other realms of thought and action he was original creative independent he examined rulings of courts but did not necessarily follow them he has said to me quote, one judge contradicts another and between them i make my own decisions if the law is not my way in this contention it ought to be End quote. and on this line he fought and won many a legal battle drudgery of the law quite naturally it followed that he could not submit to the drudgery of the law the loss of valuable time poring over state and federal reports and while his library was a rich storehouse of all legal lore he yet often displayed impatience when obliged to resort to it his clerks relieved him of that drudgery nevertheless in spite of his natural antipathies and fully conscious of his quick mental perceptions his genius for all acquisition he acknowledged his debt to that early study and application which had so thoroughly drilled and equipped him for his profession in his young manhood he had read and studied with industry and enthusiasm even to the breaking down of his physical health he knew the law in all its phases its history principles and interpretations as few men knew it and he knew how to apply it he was a maker of opinion and its interpreter in nearly every continent and province of human thought his quick perception his marvelously quick and clear perception of any problem or proposition no matter how intricate or involved seemed little less than miraculous a prospective client once came to him with a budget of typewritten matter and asked if he would go through it certainly let me see it very well colonel i'll leave it and call in a day or two for your answer nonsense wait a minute then turning over the pages one by one he handed back the screed saying you have a good case and if you wish i will undertake it for you but you don't know it yet colonel oh yes i do why it includes a good many knotty questions and has a lot of figuring in it to be sure i have gone over them haven't i just read it all to convince you i will restate it and then point by point mr ingersoll rehearsed the subject matter not omitting the figured calculations amazing colonel i believe you could see through a brick wall it has taken me and my assistants days to prepare that statement and you have mastered it in a few minutes he tried the case and got the verdict ingersoll and conkling another incident will illustrate this x-ray faculty of mr ingersoll's mind in a telegraph suit before judge wallace at syracuse new york the late roscoe conkling and the colonel were associate counsel on the train from new york mr conkling said i'm ashamed to confess it colonel but i really haven't had time properly to examine the papers in this case and i don't feel prepared to argue it you must do it or we will have to move a postponement no no that won't do it will damage our suit let me see the papers mr conkling produced them the colonel examined them before reaching syracuse he handed them back saying conkling i will argue this case although as you know my throat is bad today and i'll have to whisper my argument in the court's ear i'm extremely sorry colonel to put this burden on you but i see no other way do you think you understand the case with this brief inspection 
perfectly as well as if i had studied it for weeks and for the next few miles he laid it all out before his astonished auditor is that the way you prepare your briefs colonel why not if i can't catch on to a case by reading it as soon as the court does by hearing it i'd make a nice judge or lawyer wouldn't i you're a strange man colonel i can't fathom you the case was argued in a whisper and won this remark of the senator was meant as a compliment the highest he could pay to the ability and genius of a brother lawyer i cannot forget his look and manner of unfeigned admiration as he expressed himself not long after alas too soon when the new york legislature requested colonel ingersoll to deliver before them a memorial address on senator conkling the colonel delivered the noblest tribute to his departed friend and associate ever heard in a legislative hall when urged sometimes by nervous clients to defer his summing up of their case a reasonable time after all the evidence was in and the arguments heard he would say i want no adjournment i am ready to go right on i have heard it all as fully as the court and jury and that's enough a readier more alert mind than robert g ingersoll's never practiced in a court of law before a jury in the trial of a case before a jury mr ingersoll was probably at his best in the examination of a witness he was so patient though persistent in getting at the facts so considerate and so fair that he often compelled the truth from hesitating and unwilling lips he did not browbeat or hector a witness he did not resort to cheap arts to entrap him he did not abuse his privilege as a lawyer and treat a witness on the stand as if he were a criminal in the dock no one under his searching cross-examination had ever to appeal to the court for protection before a jury he was persuasive and convincing not only by the power of his eloquence but by the force of his cogent reasoning and the skilful marshalling of the evidence to sustain his case he appealed to the reason and conscience of his jury not to their prejudices or passions he was truly entitled to the reputation he bore as one of the greatest jury lawyers of his time before court and counsel before court and counsel he was always the courteous gentleman never impugning motives or flinging epithet or invective he was always sure of his subject and object he had perfect poise was always erect self-contained and self-controlled he was never in a hurry never flurried never flustered he was always at himself never taken by surprise or off his guard in all the many legal encounters he fought i never knew him to be worsted in ready and apt attack and defense the fitting retort was always at the door of his lips waiting to leap into utterance one instance will serve for many ananias and sapphira in a toledo ohio terminal suit counsel for the other side interrupted mr ingersoll in the midst of his argument by asking colonel did you ever read the story of ananias and sapphira yes came the quick reply quick as a flash and while you were speaking this afternoon i looked to see you drop dead every minute the hit was so palpable so perfect that even the dignified court of the federal district joined in the general convulsion and tilted so violently in his chair that he came perilously near toppling over in short those in a position to know and qualified to judge those at all acquainted with mr ingersoll's legal attainments and career accorded to him the highest honors 
in nearly every court in which he practiced he was regarded as the leading figure in any important case in which he appeared only the greatest champions ventured in the lists against him no lesser knight of the law could hope to cope successfully with him he was in truth with all his other claims to greatness one of the really great lawyers of his day End of chapter two